Welcome to the How Do I Do This podcast. I'm your host, Alicia Levels-Moore, and your new business best friend. And this podcast is housed at Polaris Birmingham, powered by Harvest House Media. The How Do I Do This podcast is providing you with tangible insights and conversations, discussions, and insights from small business owners, entrepreneurs, innovators, thought leaders. We're not just talking about believing yourself. We are asking the real questions. How do you do this? What's the email? What's the credit card? Tell us what you did. How do you lead? So get your notes books ready your ipads ready and let's learn how do i do this so hello everybody this is the how do i do this podcast and the reason we started this podcast which is powered by polaris and harvest house media is because i have a lot of conversations and i listen to a ton of podcasts where people are giving advice and insight but it's kind of baseline right it's like yeah just believe in your dreams and keep going but really i want to have tangible conversations about how do we do this i feel like the more we have those real authentic conversations it can really encourage other people to know that if it's possible for you, it's also possible for them. And so today, I have the pleasure of interviewing someone who I think is just an amazing woman. But before we start, I got to read this receipts. All right. Are y'all ready? Humor me. Okay. So she is one of Inc.'s 2022 female founders. Okay. She pitched AOL, raised $100,000, closed a million dollar round of funding and became the 37th along with her amazing mother and the 38th black woman, women to ever close a million dollar round. She's now a Google-backed company. I mean, there's actually more, but I'm getting a little parched. And so I just, I just wanted to let people know who you are. And also, I think, you know, people can give introductions, but could you just introduce yourself, your company, and a little bit about who you are? And then we'll, we'll, we'll dive right in. Yeah. Hey. Well, first of all, it's so good to be here. I love talking entrepreneurship with people. Obviously, it's something that I get to do often, and it's part of my job that I love the most. So I'm Ashley. I am from Cleveland, Ohio, born and raised. But I I think that I really grew up in New York because that's where I first went out of college. So out of college, I moved from the suburbs in Cleveland, Ohio, and I moved to New York. I didn't know anybody. I took a suitcase and a dream and just made it work. Um, you know, I started my career as an assistant, and I always knew that that was the it was a means to an end. So I was like, I'm going to be the best assistant ever. And then I'm going to work myself into something else. So in that job, I was able to work myself up to director of events of a luxury hospitality company. I've produced ev- events for everybody from Oprah to Kanye when he wasn't crazy to Beyonce. And um, I went on to co-found a tech startup with my mom and we founded that company in Nashville. Our journey took us to Birmingham, and that's where our company is headquartered today. I live in Atlanta today because my future husband lives here. And um, yeah, wait, I was going to say, a girl waited 35 years like the Duchess, okay, to get married. So like, I'm going to be shouting it from the rooftops all year this year. I love Um, love that. And, you know, I'm just living and working and enjoying life. You know, I think we have all gone through something profound in these last couple years. And it really makes you appreciative of the time you have here and what we're able to do with that time. 
Listen, I love that. So let's take a pause right quick for for husband. All right, let's 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 pause and give a round of applause for our fiance. I'm super excited for you. Congratulations. And so I mean, we're gonna dive into that later on. But there's so much to unpack when you talk about being a founder, being an entrepreneur, being a woman, and then also finding partnership and companionship. Like that's a whole other conversation. We're gonna touch on that a little bit. But okay, so you just read us some of your receipts. I want to talk a little bit about what prompted you to start your company. So I know I've had a chance to read up, but I really want you to be able to share people, share with people what prompted you to start the company. And the reason I I like to ask those questions is because sometimes it really starts with an idea. Um, And it's really what we do with the idea that impacts what happens later. So share with us what what prompted you to start your company? Yeah, so I want to start out by saying everyone who hears the word entrepreneurship they get this really sexy picture in their head of what entrepreneurship is and that is the opposite of what it is i also feel like i'm an unlikely entrepreneur and the reason that i say that is i have a pretty type a personality i like structure i like function i like putting forth work knowing that you're going to get results receipts you know Mm-hmm. And in entrepreneurship, none of that really exists because you can work and work and work and work and still really not get to where you're trying to go or where the dream is or whatever the case. So this happened for me. It was back in 2014. I was living and working in New York. I was a 20 something making over six figures. I was having a good old time in New York. And I went to a conference and my purpose for going to that conference was literally personal development. So Cosmopolitan, the magazine, they were having their first ever in-person something. And I was like, oh, I'm going. So like I got dressed. I was like, let's go. Let's be around all these people. Sarah Blakely was the keynote speaker. She founded Spanx and she's Mm -hmm. one of my favorite entrepreneurs. If you're not following her on Instagram, she's a good one. Um, And she just told her story and her story is fascinating. And, And in fact, the how I built this podcast talks about her story in detail. And, you know, I wasn't thinking about entrepreneurship or anything like that. But my purpose for going to this event was to network. And when it came time to network, the way they suggested doing it, which was going up to somebody with the same color dot on your name tag, it was awkward. And I was like, I'm not doing that. I was like, I'm not doing that. I was like, I'm going to go to lunch and I'm going to look at my phone and I'm going to have a good time. And I did. And so I talked to my mom about that later. My mom was an HR executive and she was like, well, who did you meet? Who'd you talk to? You know, what was the return on your investment? And I was like, I didn't really meet that many people. I was like, I, you know, the keynotes were great though. And she was like, well, that was, sounds like it was a waste of your time and your money. And that Mm. conversation is the thing that gave us pause. I think when you create something, there's a moment where things align for you and you get this clarity, like, okay, I've just identified a problem. Is there a solution for this problem? If not, what should the solution be? And then you figure out that you might be the best person to solve. Awesome. I love that. And so the thing that's really interesting is you were in, so you have that experience and you're like, okay, this is whack. I'm not doing that. So I think that I have a better way to solve this feeling that I'm experiencing. And so you were, I mean, all things events, doing your thing. And then you guys go into tech with, and mom's an HR executive with no formal tech training or background like what is that experience because I think sometimes when we do find the solution it's probably not in a field or an area that we have the most expertise but we do feel like and do know that we have a viable solution so what was that like 
transitioning from one career field to the next, not having experience. And then I think you guys were doing it at a time where a lot of people weren't paying as much attention as they are now, right? There's not as much um, at the time, you know, being black in tech was sexy. It, the way it's not the way it is now, right? So what was that like going from one field to the next with no formal background, no formal training, and really entering into a world where you don't see a lot of people like you? Like what gave you the audacity to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's it I feel like it's that trite thing like she believed she could so she did so mm-hmm. we were astute business women we're college age, educated business women we were both you know soaring in our careers and I think that we we definitely were a bit naive because we certainly thought it would be easier on the journey than it actually was but we just were like totally, we can do this. We've like, you know, broken all these boundaries in our careers. We've often been the only woman or only woman of color in XYZ room. So we can navigate around this. It'll be okay. But I was, uh, being a black female in tech back then, it was it unsexy. It was unheard of, you know, like <laughs> it was, you know, it was just the first couple like pioneers really getting out there and building things and I think that we as black women are audacious by nature. And let me just go ahead and say that as black people are audacious by nature. And so the biggest advice I can give someone in coming into any field where there's not a lot of you is lean into yourself, your authenticity, what, what your difference is, because that is the thing that ultimately allows you to stick out in people's mind. They will remember you because it's not just more of the same. It is different. You will, have to explain things to them in a different way because they're not used to what they're getting and that's okay as you get where you're going but lean into who you are don't try to fit in these boxes people try to put you in you know when you're on this journey and then the biggest advice and I'll take it back to Sarah Blakely again she talks a lot about when she was starting Spanx you know this was in the 2000s you know 90s 2000s like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. she had to go to the Georgia Tech Law Library to figure things out for her business. Like she had to go, go to the library, get a book, crack open the book and do her research. Today, we don't have to do that. The answer to everything is in our pocket, like seconds away. You just have to be willing to put into the work put in the work to find it. That work is very mundane. It is very unsexy. It takes a long time, but it's certainly all available and there. It's just the willingness to go out and put that work in. So everything we learned about tech in the beginning, it was one from the University of Google and two, it was was from, um, we happened to meet these developers and they were our out of house developers for the first several years of our business. I would say they were linchpin to us even getting off the ground. They were these two older white guys who lived in remote California. My mom had only met them once, but she got a good vibe. She's very vibe oriented. And, you know, they ended up coming on this crazy journey with us and they taught us things along the way as we taught them things along the way. So it was really a mutually beneficial type relationship. And I I feel like they're going to always have a warm part in our story. Yeah, I love that. So there's a few things I want to pull out. One, you are never without solutions, right? When you're trying to build something, we live in a space in a time now where everything you need is at your fingertips. So I don't want us to ever, especially as an audience, most of the people who are listeners are like, okay, well, how do I do that? I don't know. I've never done this. 
one thing that we just heard is you are never without answers. There's, you are never without a solution. Everything you need is at your fingertips. Just have the willingness to go and do it. But then I think, too, there's this really interesting part of, like, doing something you've never done before and how being naive in that way actually benefits you. I think sometimes when you are aware, if you were already in tech, you would have been fully aware of every single most hurdles that you were going to encounter. So you would have kind of looked at that as a reason probably not to do it. You're like, well, no, I don't. But sometimes when we're new to a field, we're like, oh, okay. Well, I mean, I think you are totally right. It was so green. It was just like, oh, okay. Like let's figure out what this startup thing is. It's like, you know, look at people are out here, like building real generational wealth. They're solving problems as they're building that generational wealth. Like that is certainly something that I can get behind, you know, but it was just, I was our journey was just different. <laughs> it's, it's just different. And I think, you know, we have to kind of lean into that. Sometimes you not knowing everything, that's okay. It actually will work to your advantage because you walk in the rooms like, well, what y'all doing here? You know? And so you're more willing to go and try because you have not calculated every... Now, we want to take calculated risk, but you have not just written every single thing down about why you personally can't succeed. Another thing I want to pull out that's really interesting as well is the willingness and the flexibility to work with people that are different than you and that may have a strength that you don't have, right? And so what, one of the things I really want to kind of dig into is like, okay, so I had this idea to start the business. I talked to my mom. She's like, that's it. All right. So then what were the next steps? So was the next step to go and find the people who knew more about the thing that you were trying to build? Did you write a business plan? Did you meditate on it? Did you write it on your manifestation board? Because you know me like that, girl. I'm like, y'all got to do some work, but that's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, so what was that next process? Was it going to find those two partners that supported you and your mom in that way? What was the process after you kind of determined like, I know that I have a, a viable solution. Yeah. So my mom was actually our boots on the ground first because I was still living and working in New York. My mom was actually taking a sabbatical from her job. And so she had the time to kind of start figuring things out. So she was living in Nashville. She immediately immersed herself. You know, she asked friends of hers that were entrepreneurs. She um, immersed herself in the entrepreneurial scene there. She was hanging out at the Entrepreneur Center a lot, just talking to people that process of talking people to people, seeking information, seeking advice, sneaking connections, that all has to do with being a founder. It's something, if you're not comfortable with it, you have to get comfortable with it really quick because it really does take a village to build a business. It's not just this insular thing. It's definitely like a group project, making the business grow, getting the connections you need, getting the funding, whatever it is that you're looking for. So um, in that, in the vein of like, seeking knowledge, we figured out that the Consumer Electronics Show, which is a big tech conference that happens in January every year, it was about to happen because we came up with this idea in November of 2014. So Consumer Electronics Show was in January. I couldn't mm -hmm. go because I was working, but my mom was like, I'll go. She was like, I'm a grown woman. I'll go. Um, yeah. <laughs> so she went and she literally, we had done some vetting of agencies in Nashville, but we found them to be quite cost prohibitive. Like some of them were like, it's going to be like $30,000 a week. And we were like, what? Wow. Yeah. We were like, what are you talking about? 
Um, so we, um, so she went to this conference and really just, you know, going through the process of seeking knowledge, she happened to sit down at a table. This is like that divine intervention. She happened Mm -hmm. to sit down at a table with these two guys, not knowing what they did. They explained what they did. She explained what she was doing. And then that's when a partnership was formed. So, you know, that part of that is luck. Part of it is putting yourself in a situation to have that luck. Had she stayed in Nashville and, you know, been like, Ooh, I don't want to go without Ashley or Ooh, maybe maybe we'll wait to the next year. None of that would have happened, but because she was bold enough to take that step and go seek what she didn't know, that was able to happen through for us and things were able to roll forward. You know, following that, we really worked with this team to understand what is a wireframe, you know, the first part of building out, Mm -hmm. like, what is this going to look like? What do we really want it to do? How are we going to monetize this thing? Like really think through those questions. We also um, worked with them on branding. You know, you got to come out like, what is Mm -hmm. the brand going to be? What is it going to look like? What's the feel going to be like? What are we trying to communicate to people? Who is the audience that we're going after, you know, with this particular um, product? And we also were doing some just recon with our own contacts, with my mom being in HR and myself being in events. We were, you know, Mm -hmm. doing a lot of talking to people who are in our network, like, hey, you know, this is our idea. What do you think of it? Would you use it? And, you know, just trying to get some honest feedback from people. So really doing that, um, the like customer, customer journeying, you know, trying to Mm -hmm, figure out mm -hmm. if they would use it, how they would use it. The other thing that I think is critical is specifically when we're talking about tech, I think people will have an idea for a technology and immediately they'll want to build the best version of this product, like the Tesla of the product. And maybe it's not Tesla today. Let's call it the, let's call it the Mercedes. Let's call it the, <laughs> build the Mercedes of the product. Yeah. And they shouldn't. When you're coming out of the gate, you should really be building like the Kia of the product. Because one, it's going to take less time, it's going to cost less money, and you can actually see if the people who said that they would do X, Y, Z, i.e. buy it, use it, if they'll actually do it. Because if that's not the case, you can will yourself out of that early and come up with your next thing. You know, I think people, people fall in love with their ideas. Like entrepreneurs, we fall in love with our ideas and we think that everybody else is going to fall in love with our ideas well. And sometimes that doesn't work out. And it's better to know that earlier because then you haven't sunk a whole bunch of money into it or time into it. Mm -hmm. And you can really use that as a stepping stone to think of your next better, best idea. Yeah, I love that. So, you know, I was talking to um, a mentor of mine and I remember one time we were talking about this new idea I was working on. And he said, listen, make sure you fall in love with the problem and not the solution. And I was like, what are you talking about? And it stood out to me because I think sometimes when we determine that we have the solution, we fall in love with that. And no one can tell us anything about the solution that we have determined is going to change the world. But if we continue to keep our eyes focused on the problem, we'll always be in a place of like reiterating, going through, looking at it and mulling it over and realizing that things evolve our audience will evolve and we'll always kind of be in a place of innovation so I think that's so good because most of the time when we get ready to start it's like okay I can't release this to the world unless it looks like the best Mercedes I looks like Tesla right you know like unless it looks like the best thing I don't want to be embarrassed like right I put myself out there it has to be the best but you will literally be waiting to do that the rest of your life I I tell people when I'm doing consulting work and talk to them all the time like when you think about Facebook the most you could do was poke people right right. (laughs) people people forget that guys in the beginning Facebook was for college people like that was it that That was was it 
Like in the beginning, you had to have a digital camera and plug that camera into a computer to be able to upload photos. All that's changed, but it came with time. It came with not them creating those products first, them understanding the market, what the market actually wanted, and then providing the service. Yes, and continuing to realize that it's going to evolve over time. All you could do is poke. You had to put it up there. I remember when I first wanted to get on Instagram, I had to get an iPhone because it wasn't available to Android oh, users. Wow. So I, I went to T-Mobile and was like, excuse me, y'all, I, ne- I need to break this lease. I need to go over to AT&T. I need to get, you know, because <laughs> I wanted to be on Instagram, right? And there were only so many people on Instagram. And so just remember, all the companies that we love, that we use, like they didn't start out the way that they are now. And they're always rolling out new parts. Even I iPhones every two weeks I've on like listen plug your phone up at midnight we're gonna get in there we're gonna update it right and so if these massive companies are always in this process of iteration you know why won't why wouldn't our stuff be right like why wouldn't our ideas be as well and I think too I thought about something when you were talking about you know when your mom got to the conference and she met the guys at the table I wanted to go back because before I was asking like well what was it like kind of transferring or kind of going from events to tech but really you were the perfect person to do it and I think it's because you were already in events so you understand the heartbeat of events the experience that people have when they're walking in the door you were already a part of curating meaningful meaningful experiences right and events but you were able to just really add a tech component to what you already were good at and I think too like there are some ideas that people have that really can be tech enabled and even though they may not have the tech tech experience you don't necessarily have to have that tech experience you just have to intimately know the area that you want to go in and you want to solve for right so I, I just I just wanted to, to bring that back up because I think sometimes we really minimize the experience that we have and why we are the best person to go ahead to try the thing, to launch it and to start. And, and then, too, I mean, really put yourself in position to find the people you need, to find the resources. But one thing that really stuck out when you were going through that whole process is that you and your mother, you guys had spent time intimately understanding as best as you could in that first stage exactly what you wanted to build and being able to articulate that to people Mm -hmm. even if it was going to change you spent time saying this is what we're building this is the problem this is solution and this is how we plan to solve that using x y and z and i think sometimes we have these amazing ideas in our head but we have not taken the time to write them down to figure out how we plan to articulate them and communicate our vision to other people. And so I think one of the, and you know, I have three kids and um, one of the things that I feel very passionately about instilling in my daughters is the, the gift and the skill of communication. I think as visionaries, as entrepreneurs, as people who want to start anything, it is important to really hone your communication skills because you're going to have to be able to sell and tell your dream and vision like nobody else. And every time you say it, I found this like you're saying different things because you're tweaking it along the way. Right. And so you're like, oh, that that sounds good. Let me let me use that next time. But I think it's just important for us to be able to communicate and articulate those ideas. So, no, that was really good. So what do you feel like was the hardest part getting from idea to strategy planning into execution? Was it the fact that you had to find teammates to help with the tech piece? Was it the funding piece? What do you feel like was the biggest challenge that could have stopped you, but you didn't let it? 
definitely funding. I mean, you know, I think the stats on funding are very clear. You know, it's still very much lagging, like where we need to be for tech to be anywhere near equitable. If we're talking about gender, race, you know, people who identify as, uh, you know, binary, you know, all these different things, right? So, I think it was definitely the funding and that is much to the detriment of the entrepreneur because what happens is you may be able to raise that funding over time but in the beginning when you have so much energy and you're so excited and you want to like eat sleep breathe all of this like that's when you need the funding so that you can mm-hmm. move fast bake break things make mistakes fix it you know iterate in real time all, all those kind of things. And so when you, you know, I feel like we operated as a mom and pop for way too long. You know, it was like all of 2015, 2016, 2017, and the majority of 2018. So that's about four years in before you actually get any real money in to do what you need to do to advance the technology forward. And by that time, frankly, I was tired. Like, and yes. I was going to say, and today I'm even more tired. So that's why Funding has to get to a place where it's equitable or we'll just never know how great innovation can be because, Mm -hmm. you know, for founders who look like me or, you know, people who are different, like we have great ideas. I mean, like, it's like we have excellent ideas, but to have to like create and scrape and, you know, just, you know, beg and whatever for funding is not a great place to be. And it really stunts growth and it stunts innovation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and frankly, it, you know, it tires you out. Like it, it really, it really, really does. And so, you know, I'm hopeful that as we continue to go forward, like part of what I've done for Mixtros, my hope is, and the thing that I think about is people who are in high school now, I hope that when they have an idea, it is just a bit easier because of people who have been breaking through before them. You know what I mean? That's the hope. Yeah. Like it's a generational thing that you hope to make it a bit better because of the things that you endured as you were on your journey. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, too, in, in all honesty, I think the work that you and your mom as partners are doing, it's a part of that, right? Like you both are part of trailblazing that pathway. So it can be a little bit easier. I think it's amazing for for people to see black women and then not only that, but mother and daughter. That's a big deal because very a lot unique. of times we're told it's, a, it's very unique, right? We're told one that you don't work with anybody you know right and then let alone your family let alone your parent right and so I think what you two are building together is such a beautiful thing and I think that you both are a part of blazing that trail for for the next generation to be able to see what's possible for them so again thank you for that so when we're talking about the funding piece right like you said this is a national conversation that has been going on publicly for quite some time but that has been an issue for decades, um, wh- where do you even begin to start, right? Like, so we know, okay, I got to put myself in rooms. I got to articulate what it is that I'm working on. I, I have to go find partners and-, and staff the areas that I may not be the strongest in. And when I say staff, it's really partnering or whatever you got to do, um, as long as it's-, it's legal. And, you know, so <laughs> so you're doing that. And so where do you even begin to start when you think about funding? Is it, you know, creating, we have the pitch deck and 
for those who may not know, a pitch deck is, it's, you know, in the, the simplest of terms is a PowerPoint of your business, right? Every single thing that it entails with, with multiple components, we can share that on the show notes, just kind of giving you guys an example of a pitch deck. So we know, is it is it creating the pitch deck? Is it finding out, okay, these are where the pitches are happening? Where do you even begin to start looking for funding? How do you prepare for that? Well, Mentally and naturally. So I want to send, uh, so I'm going to send something for the show notes because it's something I refer to all the time whenever I'm doing a pitch deck. So okay. number one, your business is a relationship. As you grow in the relationship, you get to know the business better and you're just able to talk about it in a different way. Like I cringe looking at myself in 2017, giving a pitch compared to when I've given a pitch earlier this year, just because of the evolution. And you can tell how much more comfortable I was talking about the subject matter and you know, all of that. But you, you, there's, there's definitely a science to it. And in your pitching, yes, you want to be bold. You want to stick out. You said communication, which is one of the most critical things, like how you're communicating your business, how you present yourself to the world when you're talking about said business. Um, Being able to pitch the business, it will set you forward a leap and a bound to the point that I, I am an advisor to the National Entrepreneur Center, for example. I teach their pitching because... I have done it so much. I've seen so much. Certainly I have tips and tricks and whatever about the pitching, but there is definitely a science to it, a cadence to it. And it all has to do with recognizing who your audience is and tailoring Mm -hmm. that story to fit the audience that you're talking to. This is not a one size fits all that you throw at everybody. It's just like when you are positioning your a product for a certain customer. There's a certain way that you would speak to an education an education customer versus like a product customer, that kind of thing. And so you have to keep that in mind as you go through the pitch. The best way to do that is to do your research. Again, the internet, it will tell you everything you need to know. Like if you're pitching in front of judges, get to know them. What do they like? What do they want to hear? You know, for sure, their thoughts on startups or new businesses or whatever, they're available on the internet. And so you want to make sure that you're the one who has done your diligence. You always want to be the person who shows up prepared. I think people think that even if they're good speakers, they can just like jump out the gate and rattle things Mm -hmm. off. It takes practice. It takes preparation. It takes you being ready for anything that might happen in the time you've been allotted to give those kind of pitches. You know, as far as finding it, first things first is always investors want to see that you've invested your own money. They want to see that you have skin in the game. You haven't just come up with an idea that you want somebody else to pay for. They want to see that you are willing to become uncomfortable to make Mm. your dream come true. And some people can't do that. And I don't blame them because it is very uncomfortable. But, you know, that was the first thing my mom and I did. And that's why it makes sense to me to have some time as a professional under your belt before starting a business because you will learn things to do and not to do in your professional career that will inform how you are as a business owner. And I think that that's important. Um, You know, when people come up with ideas right out of college, you know, every once in a while, you'll get one that takes off and that's awesome. But like the 98% of us, it's probably going to fail. And that's just because you were still really green. You were coming out. Mm-hmm. You you know, probably didn't spend your money wisely, et cetera, and so on. So people want you to put your own money in. So that's step one. Step two is you're likely going to reach out to your friends and family, your network. 
not everybody has rich aunts and uncles. We certainly didn't have that. The thing that worked out really well for us is I was in my late 20s. I was living in New York. My friends were buying apartments, getting married, all these things that cost a lot of money. So they didn't necessarily have a couple thousand dollars to give to their friend Ashley, even if they wanted to support me. Whereas my mom, she was a seasoned executive, her colleagues, her friends, they were all, you know, in their later 40s, early 50s. They had that disposable income where they could write a check and be like, good luck, mm -hmm. Ashley. So even if it's not your family, Figuring out who in your network is the person who can connect you to someone with money or has money and they might be interested in investing in you. The other thing that I find too is oftentimes if you ask someone who you want to invest into, like don't go to them and like make the kill like, hey, I need some money. You yeah. really want to go to them and ask them for advice and have that mm. conversation turn into a, well, what do you need to make this go? And then get into the money thing. Um, and then after that, it might be looking for institutional investors. So it could be a syndicate of angel investors. It could be through a pitch competition. It could be through an accelerator program. I am a big fan of accelerator programs that provide funding because they mm -hmm. give you this grace to be able to take a step back work on your business instead of in your business and figure out the mechanics of it while you're not worrying so much about your cash flow because they've just given you an injection of cash. I think that those are great. They're easy to find. You can go to the Global Accelerator Network. It's called GAN. Um, you can look at Techstars or other big name accelerator programs and they generally will specialize in something. So depending on what type of product you have, it's your job to figure out which accelerator programs speak to what I'm trying to do and apply to those. Mm -hmm. And frankly, reaching out to a managing director, if you have something pertinent to say, is a great way to get in front of them. Literally, we applied for a Techstars program. The uh -huh. managing director of that program looked awesome. He just looked like a cool guy. I, I think it was maybe two years ago at this point. I emailed him because I found his contact information on Twitter. And I literally said, hey, it's Black History Month. If you'd like to do something nice for a black person, I would love to chat with you. Like, shoot your shot. The worst they could do yes. is answer you, honestly. I mean, I, and then what? Just go to the next person. No, I love that. So let's pull back, though, because you tried to drop a little gem and then, like, move on. I am an advisor for the National Entrepreneurship Center. Girl, whatever you said. Again, that's that's a, that's another gem drop. So I appreciate that. I think, you know, it's, it's there's so much wrapped up in what you were saying ultimately it's doing whatever is necessary. I would like to ask this question though. So thinking about our audience, right? It's like, okay, cool. I need to invest my own money. Girl, what that look like? You know what I'm saying? Is it, do I need to, is it okay? I'm, we're talking about tech. I'm starting a tech company. Is there a certain amount that looks decent to an investor? Um, am I, can people work and then also create these companies, right? Because there's a lot of different things culturally we have to consider, which is why, Historically, we haven't been in these spaces when we talk about funding and technology because there are a few barriers. So, like, when we talk about how do I do this, realistically, what does that look like when we talk about investing our own money, right? Like, is there a number? Um, and then are we working, sis? Or do we have a side gig? I mean, where we at? What are we doing? So, I, I feel like I'm going to, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take it back and then I'm going to bring this back around. So okay, I'm gonna okay. Say, there are generations of things that had to happen 
for my mom and I to be able to run mixtures the way we did, starting with our family comes from a plantation in a place mm-hmm. called um, Cherokee, Alabama. So just okay. north of Birmingham. Mm-hmm. They had to have the foresight to, you know, a generation before my grandparents get off that plantation, mm-hmm. go north where there was opportunity, start working in steel and manufacturing so that my grandfather could do that, fight a world war, um, and then have my parent, have my mom. Um, and then he, my grandparents paid for my mom's college. Like they wrote checks for her college to mm-hmm. all the way through. They did that for all four of their children. That's wow. a blessing. My mom was then able to pay that blessing forward to me. She paid for all my college. I never took out a loan. I never saw a bill. And oh because of that, I was able to move to New York debt free, work my mm. way up, do what I'm doing. I was able to have savings. My mom she got her master's degree when I was in high school or maybe junior high, one of those two. And she, um, because of that, she literally got a 60% pay increase and she became the primary breadwinner in our family. And because mm-hmm. of that, there were savings, there was cushion, etc. My mom took a sabbatical work from work after her company had IPO'd. So mm-hmm. because of being financially literate, which is so important. And so the blessings that our family gave us like generations in advance. That's why for years, my mom and I were able to not have income and push mixtures forward. We were able to hang on long enough till we got funding so we could start to pay ourselves something. And yeah. again, that's not everybody's story. And it was a blessing. Now for us, you know, everything is in perspective for us. Did we make significant cuts to our lifestyle? Absolutely. I gave up the life in New York. I moved back to my family home for the first time since I was 17. I took my brother's old beat up car while he was in the military. Mm -hmm. You know, I lived in, you know, upstairs in my parents' house and whatever. And it was a lovely house, but it just wasn't the reality that I was ready for in my late twenties. And so those are the sacrifices that we made to get where we were going. Now on the other side of this equation, I would say there's not a number. They just want to see that you're doing something. They want to yes. see that you're burning the midnight oil. They want to see that you know the road's not going to be easy. They just want to see that you're in there. So to answer, can you have a job and do this as a hustle? 1000% because guess what? We got to eat. Like what like you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like we got to yeah. eat, we got to have insurance. Like there's a lot of things we have to do. If you have a family, you need to still provide for your family while you're chasing this dream. They just want to know that you're in there yeah man that was so good and I'm so appreciative of that because those are the types of things that I want people to be able to see the other side of it right it's like hey there were generations of decisions that were made to get us here and I think that's so key because one it shows us regardless of all the the obstacles stacked against you even if you're the one starting it it's possible and it's necessary because then you can provide the open door and the open pathway for your generation for your lineage to be able to have the same story to do more so like thank you for sharing that and then again to your point it's very possible to do two things at one time which most people have to do culturally most of us do it um but we are committed to it because we know where we're going um we understand that it's absolutely necessary to be able to create a pathway of 
generational opportunity and hopefully generational wealth. Right. And so I, I appreciate that because I think I talk to entrepreneurs all the time and the biggest challenge that most people have is getting started because they're looking at all the reasons why it won't work. And so I want us to really start thinking about all the reasons it will work yeah. and all of the impact that it will make on ourselves, but not only us, but every single person coming behind us. Because when we think about anything, especially in this country, when we think about last names, right? When we think about the Rockefellers, Walmart, like even if you really go down more granular to the community that you live in, that's a family name, right? So I'm I'm in I'm in a community called Woodlawn. That's a Wood family. They settled there, and they they family still buried there. But there's something about the last name, and I think culturally, we now are the generation that has more access to information, more access to resources. We really have much greater access than those before us, and it's time to take hold of those things and to have the audacity to try, regardless of all the obstacles stacked up against you, because your name means something. Yeah. Um, and so I just appreciate you for, for sharing that. That that was really, really good. So we're, we're going to wrap in a minute, because I know you need to go do CEO things, okay? I don't have time to play with you, <laughs> so, so, you know, so we talked about so many different things but a, a couple things I want to kind of to touch on before we wrap up is how do you know when to start bringing people on and I'll just kind of share a, a quick little tidbit myself so it's like okay I'm building this thing I need freaking help right but I'm still trying to get this money so <laughs> how do how do I do two things at one time and I think that you know from a community that I'm in and I really appreciate this perspective it's a it's a book called we should all be millionaires and there was a perspective in that book uh, which talked about having to bring people on kind of air quote before you're ready because of the ability that it gives you to think the ability and the more capacity it provides to you and just having to get creative. So sometimes it might be a family member. Sometimes it might be somebody you knew from back then that used to do websites and logos. But when do you know is the right time to start building out your team? And then how do you how do you leverage that? Yeah, I mean, for me, that answer is really simple. You let the data tell you that until you have um, revenue, mm-hmm. et cetera, that tells you that you need you that you can one and yes and should bring someone on you should not i can't tell you how many companies fail because they prepare for this big rush that never comes they think if mm. i only had this marketer if i only had this salesperson mm. that that's going to solve the problems but if people aren't adopting the product for whatever reason it's your responsibility to figure out why and if it can be fixed. If you figure that out, then it might be time to hire those other people. If not, you need to stay lean and scrappy as long as possible until you work out the answers to those questions. So, you know, a, a great investor in Birmingham, his name is Shagan Atulana. He mm-hmm. told me um, two reasons companies fail is because they buy up too much real estate too fast. So these fancy offices that are, you know, just because they wanted to have an office and then they, they, they grow these teams way before they're ready to do so. So, you know, it's really after you've had some time in your business to play every single role. Once you've like played every single Mm -hmm. role and you could win an Oscar, that is when, you are ready to hire others because then you need to teach them how to do what you do and scale. 
Absolutely. Great point. Great point. Um, Okay. Awesome. So last thing. So we have all these different things we're working on. We're managing these different things. How do you manage your time? Right. What are some what are some different uh, just key takeaways you can give people to, to managing their time and say for instance in the beginning phases right you are doing all of these things on your own right you're like okay I'm managing this part I'm figuring out the marketing I'm building this pitch deck I'm teaching myself these different things and even though I'm I have people who understand the tech field you still have to have some type of language to be able to communicate right so you still have to learn it you may not be an expert in it but you have to learn it so I'm learning all these different things I'm showing up to these conferences my god just trying to hold my edges intact how do you manage all of these different things that that you're doing are there different ways that you block your calendar is there different software that you're using how do you manage all these things to get where you're trying to go i definitely think use the use the tech that's at your disposal to be able to use like where you can automate processes that give you even if it's seconds that give you that time back you know the the straightforward answer to those are like your calendly's your um slacks I use Grammarly like a fiend. That is one that like, you know, helps correct your language to make sure you're speaking very clear when you're emailing and writing to people. So using tech where you're able, definitely. Um, Another thing is as an entrepreneur, and this is something that was hard for me to accept with the type A personality, you have to be okay sometimes with doing everything at 80%. So that means Mm. not every single thing gets your absolute 100%. This has to be absolute perfect. And it really, it goes back to that product thing, like launching things before you're ready. Same thing about your day to day. Like it's sometimes about getting stuff done, keeping that wheel turning, which means you can't spend, you know, an absorbent amount of hours, like working on one task that really could have taken an hour. Mm -hmm. You want to think about it like that. And then the other two things I feel like are more on the personal but practical side. One is whatever is the thing that gives you light, continue to do that thing. For me, it's going to the gym. I go to the gym almost every day. And it is because it's the one hour that I am, one, doing something for my health and my body. And two, Mm -hmm. it's just one hour of clarity, right? So whatever that thing is for you personally, continue to do it and make it your non-negotiable. Work everything else around that thing so you don't feel like you're falling off with your personal life. And lastly, and you know, this is something that I like to say specifically when I'm talking to audience of color, women, therapy is your friend. Yes. Because if you're an entrepreneur, the stats say that a higher percentage of us have some sort of mental I don't want to say defect. That sounds really intense, but we have a mental issue like of some sort higher than the general population. And so with that being said, with greatness, sometimes come complication and that's okay. Specifically mm-hmm. if you stay ahead of it, but being an entrepreneur honestly can be a really lonely thing. It can be a mm-hmm. very tough journey that sometimes you really need someone to help you work out the problems that you're going through. Sometimes it can't be your partner. Sometimes it can't be your co-founder sometimes it just needs to be a neutral party who can give you the tools of how to proceed and so mm-hmm. i highly recommend if you are able to seek out health like that kind of mental health care to just continue to keep yourself in check i think that people definitely have a um a jaded sense of what therapy is for and therapy is not for when you're in crisis you go to therapy yes to prepare you for the crisis so you should go Mm -hmm. to therapy when everything is great 
I love that. Listen, I'm a proponent of therapy. I've been in therapy for two years on a consistent basis. And I think, too, it also helps you when dealing with business challenges, right? Because you now have the tools to be more self-aware. You now have a higher level of emotional intelligence. And so it really, it it one, is important for yourself, like holistically. But then it also helps you to navigate through the world in a, a much easier way to be less jaded. Um, you deal with disappointment and rejection a little differently, especially when you're in business, because people are going to tell you no all the time. Absolutely. And our, our natural bent is to give up to be upset to be disappointed to be bitter and i think having some of those support systems like therapy helps you to better deal with the challenges that come with being in this space in this arena and so something you, you to what you said earlier you know i've learned that done is better than perfect and so if you can just get it done you can it's never going to be perfect but we can continue to fix it along the way That's so right. The the very last thing I said that um, three times ago, I feel like a pastor right now. My third closing um, is, you know, so the name of the podcast is How Do I Do This? And so if you could just say in one word or one sentence, how did you do it, Ashley? I just started. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, I think I think that's the answer. You said it. You said it earlier. The hardest hurdle is to just start. So if you have the idea, just start. Take an action that pushes that idea forward. And if you continue taking action, you should see something happen. I love that. I love that. Again, thank you so much for, for joining so me. Thank you for giving me some of your time today or sharing some of your time with me today. And um, I hope that I know without a shadow of a doubt that something will impact somebody in some way. But I also hope the conversation was 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 good for you too, girl. Wait, wait, I was gonna say it was a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and good luck to everybody who's out there listening. Whether you apply this to entrepreneurship or what you're doing in your career, they both apply. So good luck as you go forward. All right, y'all heard it. She said how did she do it? Get started and stop playing games. All right, until next time. Thank you for tuning in to the How Do I Do This podcast. I believe and hope something transformative was said today. So do me a favor, like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Be sure not to hoard all the jewels to yourself and share with those who need this information. Until next time.